Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little. Boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters. <laughs> You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast brought to you by B&O Play. My name is Tim Hinman, and this is the 10th episode of Sound Matters, and it's called Sounds from Outer Space. Coming up is half an hour in which we're going to travel from an ordinary back garden in England, belonging to the drummer of a very famous Brit pop band, all the way to the edge of the universe and back again, with the help of some solid radio astronomy, and a few space vehicles. Now, the thing to remember about sound and outer space is that there isn't really all that much sound out there at all. Space, as we all well know, is a vacuum, or at least very, very nearly a vacuum. There's nothing there, and sound needs something to travel through. Space is full of a whole lot of nothing. So, generally speaking, it's pretty quiet out there. Now, those voices you can hear in the background. They're speaking Russian. That's a recording of Sergei Korolev and Yuri Gagarin from 1961. They are preparing to launch the rocket, Vostok 1. And Yuri Gagarin is just about to be launched into the history books as the very first human ever to travel into space. Notice how these early Russian space pioneers don't bother with the whole 10987654321 countdown thing. They just get ready and they hit go. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are now floating in space. This trip is going to require only a small amount of imagination on your part. So now, it's time for you to leave the capsule, if you dare. Planet Earth is blue, and there's nothing you can do. You're weightless, still. Can't even feel the weight of your own spacesuit. Can't hear anything except a little radio in your helmet. Look straight down and you'll see that you're floating above the British Isles. Let's zoom in, Google Earth style, straight down. Here you can see Sound Matters' own intrepid reporter, Andrea Rangecroft, walking into an English garden. The garden I mentioned previously, owned by the drummer of a famous British pop band. Coming out in the garden, somewhere in the British countryside, 
who's also here with a big aerial in his hands. Hi, I'm Dave Rowntree. I'm, a, I'm a, the drummer in the band Blur and a space nut. Self-proclaimed space nut, Dave Rowntree. When he's not playing drums for Blur, likes to build himself satellite tracking gear and listen to, well, satellites. Oops. Right, so it's almost to you south, but very low in the sky, and it's going to come towards the northeast, and it's going to set in the northeast. We'll this way a little bit. Just run, run. <laughs> we'll just give Dave and Andrea a minute to get their antennas tuned in. And while we wait, let's just move to another part of the UK, to the Cheshire countryside near Manchester, to a place called Jodrell Bank. This is where you'll find the UK's biggest radio telescope. It's about 90 metres high, so it's an absolutely huge dish. Still the world's um, third largest steerable telescope. This is where you'll find astrophysicist Professor Tim O'Brien at work most days. My name's Tim O'Brien. I'm a professor of astrophysics at the University of Manchester. Tim O'Brien knows about space. He's an astrophysicist, after all. And space, as we know is big. But bigger spaces, it's really not all that far away. So there's a sort of working definition of space, which is just a hundred kilometers above our heads. And even something like the International Space Station is only three or four hundred kilometers above us. So the atmosphere is really only a very thin layer. So, for the purposes of definition, we can say that sounds from space start at around 100 kilometers above your head. Dave and Andrea just need to point their antenna up into the blue sky, and they can hear voices from above. This is AO85. Just hear the beginning of the signals now. I think the very first time I heard voices coming from a satellite overhead, that was the most amazing time, really. Because it seems bizarre that it's even going to work at all. You set it all up and you kind of practice and go, right, I've got to do that, and then it comes overhead, I've got to do this. There's something. Yep, that's somebody. And then eventually it works, and suddenly you just hear people talking <laughs> on this satellite overhead, and you're in your back garden waving an aerial around fiddling with your radio. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you like radio, you spend a lot of your time listening to static. Especially if you like listening to spacecraft, which I do. The static you can hear is more than just noise. If you've ever heard radio static, which I'm guessing you have, then you've probably already heard sounds from space. It's very difficult with static because your brain wants to, wants to hear things in static, so it just makes things up often, so you can't tell really whether you're hearing a really faint voice or if that's just your mind wanting to hear a really faint voice and kind of overlaying it, dragging it out of the static. We do get sounds from space from uh, uh, stuff even in our own atmosphere and just outside our own atmosphere from particles that are uh, travelling along the Earth's magnetic field. Earth whistlers. 
so these things are not directly sounds themselves but they're but they're radio emissions that we turn into a sound with a with a radio receiver and a, and a, and a, and a set of headphones but static itself is pretty interesting stuff it's made of several things i suppose one of the components is the hangover from the big bang it's the radiation still gurgling around the universe from the big bang the boom from the start of the universe the boom from the start of the universe is coming out of that radio tied around your neck <laughs> i know <laughs> it's pretty it crazy it is amazing isn't it it's amazing to think you can see the Big Bang now by looking using radio telescopes on spacecraft to look at the fading glow of the Big Bang. So stuff that was originally light, visible light, uh, emitted about 380,000 years after the Big Bang, uh, stretched by the expansion of the universe and now visible in the microwave part of the radio spectrum. It's called the cosmic microwave background radiation. Uh, we see the patterns in that radiation on the sky and by studying that pattern, we can actually work out what the sound waves were that were travelling through the universe in those, in those early years. The classic sound was, was made by Mark Whittle at the University of Virginia. It was a really nice example where he used that model of the universe and took the first million years of the universe, took the sound waves that were travelling through the universe then, transformed their frequencies into the range of human hearing and compressed a million years into 10 seconds. And it's great to hear the first million years of the universe uh, as a sound. So, would you like to hear the sound of the Big Bang? The sound of the entire universe coming into being? Here it is. Need to hear that again? Here's one problem with sounds and space. Because these observations are observations of radio waves or X-rays or gravity fields or protons whizzing around in space, they don't really start off as sounds at all. Let Tim O'Brien explain. This process of turning some of these data into a sound is called sonification. Earth forest. You measure some property of some particular uh, value. You might be measuring, so it might be the strength of the magnetic field from a spacecraft as it's orbiting a planet. And then what's done is to turn that strength into a sound. You might even map something like the strength of the signal onto the frequency of the sound that we hear. It's just a, it's basically just a different way of taking the data and turning it into a, a way in which we can sense it as human beings. So rather than, you know, plotting it as a graph or showing it as a picture, we convert it into a sound. Playing somebody a sound is much more immediately engaging and quite emotional, actually, quite visceral. And I think there may be some mileage in them. Um, you know, in your, your ears maybe picking up things that perhaps your eye might not immediately spot in, a, in quite a complex data set. Sonification of all sorts of data from space has opened up many new ways of seeing what's happening in space by turning it into something we can hear. But there are many types of information and many types of observation out there. 
which means there's pretty much just as many ways of turning those observations and that information into sound. If you look at our sun uh, here in the solar system, we can see that the sun vibrates. So there are sound waves that are traveling through the body of the sun. So it's effectively rippling, sort of almost like a jelly. And we can sort of see those ripples on the surface of the sun. So we can turn that back into a sound and hear the sort of vibrations of the sun. So although that in itself is not a sound wave that has traveled all the way from the sun to the earth, it's actually us seeing the vibrations of the sun, which are themselves the sound waves traveling through the sun. And we can do the same thing even for other stars, harder to do for the more distant stars, but in a similar way we can see and therefore turn into a sound the vibrations of these other stars. Stars are very big objects, right? So when they vibrate, they vibrate relatively slowly. And so actually what's often happened is you have to speed up uh, the vibrations so that it brings them into the, the range of human hearing. Let's just hang here for a moment. Get back to floating in space again. If you turn slowly, you can look directly into the sun. Gemini 4, how are you, Captain John? Okay, I'm got right from the spacecraft. Okay, got right from the spacecraft. How are you? Okay, my What you can hear in the background now is a NASA recording. Okay, I'm out. Okay, out. It was recorded in 1965. Gemini mission. Astronaut Ed White is about to leave his spaceship. I feel like a million dollars. Right now I'm standing on my head. I'm looking right down. Looks like we're coming up on the coast of California. You got about five minutes. The flight director says get back in. Okay. Ed White couldn't hear the sun, of course. He couldn't hear the solar wind either, but we can. Another classic one is that the sound of the solar wind, um, which was made with some NASA spacecraft called the Helios. And these were particles in the, in the solar wind, so the wind of particles that blows away from the sun. And as those particles were detected by the spacecraft, that sort of is used to create a sound. So you hear a sort of tinkling um, as these individual particles are hitting the spacecraft. And the, the exact note you hear is represents the energy of each of the particles. Chances are you are never going to get to go to space. So what's the next best thing? Maybe trying to listen to the International Space Station from your back garden. <laughs> That's kind of the next best thing. But it really is. <laughs> it kind of fulfills all those schoolboy ambitions, really, of wanting to be an astronaut. And uh... Like so many aspects of space exploration, success is never guaranteed. Here we may have missed it. Space Station not saying hello today. 
If you've been floating around the universe for long enough, sooner or later, you're likely to run into a black hole or two. Trouble with black holes is that they're pretty hard to see. Unless, of course, you get help from Tim O'Brien, in which case you might just get a chance to hear one before it sucks you in. An example I've got myself is I created a, the sound for black hole. This was using X-ray observations of a black hole in a binary star system called Cygnus X1. And so what was actually being measured was the brightness of the X-rays. And I wanted to turn that into a sound. Um, so what I did was to take the brightness and map it onto a frequency scale. So the brighter X-rays made a sound that was a higher pitch. Uh, and the fainter X-rays made a lower pitch. And then actually I took the, the, the X-ray instrument was measuring the brightness at a certain sampling interval. So it might, might measure the brightness, let's say, you know, 50 times a second or 10 times a second, whatever it might be. That would then give you the beat of the, of the sound. So it would tell you how often you hear a note. So that, that then produces the quality of the sound. But it is directly linked to the original data. So you can make a direct thread through from the from the original X-ray brightness measurements to the sound that you hear. And I think for me, that's quite important. So although there's some creativity, uh, some poetic license, if you like, involved in how we map the data onto the sound, there is a direct link back through to the sound. And so there is um, there is scientific content still in the sound that you create. So, Professor O'Brien makes a musical sound from a black hole, while Dave Roundtree, the musician, is also transmitting notes of a kind. He's bouncing them off satellites, and maybe, even, he could try bouncing them off the moon itself. So the fewer notes, effectively, you can transmit, the further you can get with it. So this is a way of transmitting one note, but you change the phase subtly, so you encode quite a lot of information into one note. generally for a very small amount of information to who he is, where he is. That's him. Uh, and this is something that radio hams uh, who like a bit of a challenge like to do occasionally is they can transmit a radio signal from the Earth. That was somebody transmitting through the satellite, but it won't say anything very interesting. Uh, and then they basically send out, say, a beep as a radio signal and then actually catch the echo coming back off the moon. You can bounce signals like that off the moon. That's a kind of that's a that's where that's where the the real nerds in amateur radio are now. They're pointing these massive antennas on the moon and bouncing these notes off them. <laughs> uh, Travelling at the speed of light is about two and a half seconds. Have you ever done a moon bounce? No. Sorry. I think that'd be fun though. <laughs> You've got to bounce signals off the moon, haven't you? It's the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's next. I might have to approach that one delicately with my girlfriend. <laughs> you know that bit of the garden? We don't, we don't really use that bit of the garden, do we? I think that's having a massive antenna there. I just want to do a moon bounce. Yeah, you love antennas, don't you? <laughs> we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal 
That challenge is one that we're willing to accept. There's a never-increasing amount of space sound out there. These clicks are produced by pulsars, for example, recorded by Jodrell Bank. These are collapsed stars, spinning round and round and emitting a signal like a lighthouse in space. Some spin faster than others. Some spin so fast that they sound like this. NASA has released hundreds of audio files from sounds like this, produced by the Voyager spacecraft as it cruised past Uranus. To hours of recordings from the Apollo mission moon landings, all the way up to more recent space happenings. Columbia, Columbia, this is Houston, AOS, over. One thing we've never heard is any actual sound from another planet. Well, almost. This recording, the one you're hearing now, is a straight-up microphone recording. It's just sound. It doesn't sound like much, you might think. It's just the wind rushing past the microphone. Except that this wind is rushing past a microphone attached to the Huygens probe as it landed on Titan, one of the moons of Saturn, back in 2005. This is not a sonification. It's just a plain old sound recording, all the way from Titan. There have been microphones attached to more than one probe that landed on Mars, but so far, no recordings have ever been made due to various mission failures. But then, there was Dave Roundtree and his band, Blur, who nearly, so very nearly, became the very first band to play music on Mars. I was lucky enough to meet Colin Pillinger, who was the guy that had the idea for the Beagle 2 mission to Mars. So Alex from my band and I helped him out and did the PR for the project because he had this amazing idea but no money. So we we were looking for something to talk about in interviews rather than our new album, to be honest. So he, uh, <laughs> we went around the world talking about Colin's amazing idea and uh, how all he needed was £25 million and he could send a lander to Mars. We spent the Christmas at Mission Control with a bunch of other like-minded people and actually it was one of the best Christmases I've ever had. And I don't think my family would agree with that, but uh, <laughs> for me it was absolutely fantastic. The icing on the cake would have been it, the thing landing successfully because we'd my band had written a little tune for it to play back the, the solar panels would unfurl and then it would play this little tune to announce that it had arrived safe and well and uh, the idea was we were going to even if only by remote control play the first gig on mars and we had the radio telescope at jodrell bank was pointing at Mars to pick up this tune but <laughs> when the first opportunity for contact came and went and we heard nothing I had this kind of icy feeling in the pit of my stomach I knew then really in my heart of hearts that we hadn't been successful a, a thousand things had to go right in order for it to successfully play the blur tune and unfortunately only 999 of those did go right <laughs>
Do you think it did play it? No, I think it made an almighty percussion-like bang. <laughs> I think it did make a noise, but not quite the noise we intended. <laughs> the Beagle Rover never got to play that tune. It's just going to sit there until maybe one day when some future astronaut finds the wreckage in the Martian dust. That same astronaut could come across another recording, which is also hanging around up there on Mars. It was burned onto a crystal glass DVD. It's a recording of the great cosmologist Carl Sagan, and it was stuck on top of the Phoenix lander. It's quite clearly marked with the words, Astronauts, take this with you. All you'll need, if you find it on Mars, is a laptop with a DVD drive in it that still works. Hi, I'm Carl Sagan. I don't know why you're on Mars. Maybe we're on Mars because we recognize that if there are human communities on many worlds, the chances of us being rendered extinct by some catastrophe on one world is, uh, is much less. Or uh, maybe we're on Mars because of the magnificent science that can be done there. The, the gates of the wonder world are opening in our time. But whatever the reason you're on Mars is, I'm glad you're there, and I wish I was with you. Back on planet Earth, Dave and Andrea's attempts to communicate via space satellites are finally paying off. This sounds quite clear. Yeah, although perhaps it's worth pointing the obvious out at this point. I can see some people might think... Why don't you just call somebody on your mobile phone then if you're, if you're so desperate to hear voices? <laughs> Not as fun though, is it? No, this is space. You're mad, it's space, Nick. Space, space and stuff. Two Echo Zero, Delta, Victor Romeo. Two Echo Zero, Delta, Victor Romeo. No podcast about sound from space could ever be complete without dealing with the tricky subject of aliens. <laughs> Aliens, if you love them or hate them, tend to come from space. And many radio telescopes on Earth are pointing into the sky, hoping to catch a message just to say hello. Tim O'Brien, a man with a very large satellite dish in his hands, is one man with a far better chance than most of making that first contact. You've got to be careful, you know, not to stray into pseudoscience with aliens, and we're not saying that we, we've ever got, had any evidence that aliens have visited the Earth, but I think many scientists would be surprised if there was an extraterrestrial life somewhere uh, on another planet. We now know there are uh, probably billions of habitable planets, even in our own Milky Way galaxy, let alone the many billions of other galaxies we know exist in the universe. Uh, whether any of that has evolved to a point where it uses technology and where that they might have transmitted signals in our direction for us to pick up, uh, we have no idea, of course. Um, but uh, the general the general feeling is that if you don't look, uh, you won't find. Yeah, I am very interested in the idea of extraterrestrial life. I would love, of course, to be involved in the first detection of a signal from an extraterrestrial uh, civilization, 
and uh, you know, I, I guess that would probably be the, the zenith of a of a career uh, using a radio telescope. So it'd be great if we could do that at some point. Sounds from space continue to inspire and fascinate. This is AO85. We listened to this this morning a couple of hours ago and it's been right around the Earth in the meantime and now it's arriving again overhead. And the connection between British pop music and space sound still has one more turn to take. Here's Tim O'Brien again. We do some music festivals at Jodrell Bank occasionally. A few years ago we had um, the band called Sigur Ross playing at Jodrell and in the sort of before they came on stage I played some of these sounds from space that they'd um, mixed together. Spinning dead star the size of a city but weighing as much as the sun and the sound of the giant planet Jupiter. We hope you enjoy it. And it was sort of uh, picked up on by a guy called Tim Burgess who's a singer with a band called The Charlatans he was having a chat to me afterwards and said, oh, you know, we could perhaps take some of these sounds and create a, a dance track working with some of these, uh, some record producers that uh, we have on our record label. So I worked with two guys, Jim Spencer and Dave Tolan, but we sort of worked together, taking all these um, sounds and we put them together, they mixed them together into, into a track, which uh, uses the beat of the black hole, the sonification of the black hole that produced as a sort of underlying uh, rhythm for the track and incorporates lots of these sounds of the the whistlers, the sound of the Big Bang, the, the sounds of pulsars and many more to make a track that we called Hello Moon. that's about it for this edition of Sound Matters. It's time for you to come back down to Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. We now return you to the music of Ramon Raquello, playing for you in the Meridian Room of the Park Plaza Hotel, situated in downtown New York. Thanks to Dave Rountree and Andrea Rangecroft, who have come in from the garden to plan new methods of distributing this show around the world. If you're, if you're interested, you can send up these digital packets of uh, information and have it rebroadcast down over five continents. So, so, we could, uh, so we could potentially make a little digital packet of Sound Matters and bop it up to the International Space Station. Yes, that's the idea. Yep. Well, it's a tight, only a very, very small amount of data, so you couldn't, uh, you couldn't send your entire podcast up there. An MP3, a small MP3. <laughs> no, I'm not talking. <laughs> you know, Twenty bytes of data. Thanks to Professor Tim O'Brien at Jodrell Bank, who possibly has the solution as to how to get this podcast into space and back again. 
turn your podcast into a radio wave and transmit it into space, and then someone can turn it back into a sound again. <laughs> this show is written, presented, put together, mixed and tweaked by me, and my name is Tim Hinman. Thanks, of course, to Andrea Rangecroft, who interviewed Dave Rowntree, and a big thank you to Professor Tim O'Brien. The song Hello Moon is released by Ogenesis Records, who you'll find at ogenesisrecordings.com, or you can track it down on your preferred streaming service. Thanks to Jodrell Bank for use of all the sounds of space recorded there. Find out more about Jodrell Bank at jodrellbank.net. NASA's sound recordings are publicly available at nasa.gov. Sound Matters is made possible by B&O Play, and you can find out lots more about them at beoplay.com. If you go there, you can find the B.O. Play journal, which has got tons of stuff you can look at. Thanks to Nathaniel Businski at B.O. Play for making this podcast happen, and thanks to you, of course, for listening. I'll be back soon with more stories about sound and things that matter. Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters. <laughs> Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone?